G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. You have this innate desire to be at one with God and you want to have a relationship with Him, but Islam does not have that. There is no relationship with God. God is a, it's a high and a mighty being somewhere in the nebulous that you cannot access. So that is one thing that I found was completely void in my life. And it was important for me at that stage in my life. I wanted to know, do I have any meaning of life at all? G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, usually when someone puts their faith in Jesus, it's the beginning of solving many of the problems in their life. And to a certain extent, that was the case for Ash Suleir. But as a former Muslim, it was also the beginning of many new problems because his parents were strongly opposed to him becoming a Christian. He's chatting and sharing his story with Karen Hunt. Now, he was born to Egyptian parents, a former Muslim. He converted to Christianity here in Australia during his university days. He has two passions, photography and evangelism to Muslims. Let's hear his very unique, special story and find out firstly where he was born and about his parents' journey as well. Uh, They came over to Australia in 1972 or so uh, with my father. I was probably about 25 decided that it, uh, Egypt uh, was not politically a favourable environment for him to be in. Um, so he decided to come out and check out what Australia was like when it opened its doors um, in the early 70s, the heyday of immigration. So I suppose since then he'd, uh, he'd fell, fell in love with the place and decided to get married and, and, and bring over his new wife uh, over to Sydney, all the way from, uh, from Egypt. and left, left the whole family there. He was the first one, I suppose, in the family to have left the family to, to go overseas. That's a very brave move for them. I mean, your parents, they were Muslim. They are Muslim, born into very strict and, and a tight-knit Islamic family. And, of course, families like that centre their lives around their faith, hey? Oh, certainly. Um, everything they do is, is focused on what, uh, what Islam would command them to do. And it gives them, I suppose, a lot of structure in their lives. And, and what they do is, uh, is, is basically trying to follow or emulate the Prophet Muhammad in, what they, in everything that they do. So when they sit down to eat, they, they thank God. When uh, they're praying, they're always thanking God. Uh, when they're joking together, they, they praise God. So it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a lesson in, in faith, I suppose, a lot to, um, to, to look at how they live. Ash, it's interesting to read that as a young Muslim boy, you're actually sent to a Catholic school. You went to the Marist Brothers College in Coogee in like years six, years seven. Was it confusing for you going to a Catholic school but uh, living a life at home with a Muslim family? Uh, at that age, I don't think you question anything. I, I started off um, in the whole way through primary school going through the Catholic school system. So first of all, St. Joseph's in Maroubra in Sydney, then going on to St. Mary's in, um, in the Kensington area, I believe it was. I can't even remember now, it's that far back. Uh, and that was year three and four. And then from year five and six, that was Maris Brothers in Coogee. Um, and I, I think from, from, my, from my point of view, I just followed. I, I simply just uh, 
uh, agreed to learn about things the way that they were taught in the Catholic school system. My parents did try hard to get me out of having to do a compulsory religious education, but there were, uh, there were certain lessons that I couldn't be exempt from, and I remember going through them, but I never had questioned it, never, never thought that that was something that I just didn't believe in and I, I had to stand up against. So tell us about your early adolescent years. I mean, you went to a high school, a boys' high school. You were quite short for uh, the size of boys in in your grade. What was life like in those junior high years? They were bittersweet years. Um, high school was great. There was a lot of um, a lot of personality stuff that came up, and um, at the same time, there's a lot of freedom. So you get to you get to meet new friends and and you, your parents gave you some liberties that you never used to have before. I joined you know the music group and orchestra. I loved music. Um, also, I was very keen uh, to learn about maths and English and science. It was it really it got me going. But I did struggle socially. It's really mainly because I was um, the odd one out, the only Arab, and uh, very short, but easy to pick on. Uh, I just let things happen. And so there were only a few people who really you know, would be interested in becoming a friend. Uh, but nevertheless, I just continued to plough through and, um, and all those shortcomings that I had, I knew I couldn't do anything about. And uh, I just relied on learning and books and that's all uh, what I focused my energy on. Uh, so a lot of bullying did happen. And it, although it really did affect me, um, I, I tended to just ignore it as much as I could. It certainly made it difficult for me to, to get to, to get through high school and succeed. And you came to a point in your life, hey Ash, where you started questioning your faith in any form of God. Can you tell us what was that crisis like? That was a tough time. Approximately about 13 years of age, I came to some sort of uh, realisation that I was doing all these rituals that really didn't make any meaning um, in my own life. Why was I doing all this stuff, uh, praying five times a day, prostrating myself in front of God, and it had to be in alignment with where the Kaaba was, which is in Saudi Arabia and Medina, um, and Mecca, sorry, and, and fasting one month a year, doing Ramadan. Um, and Ramadan, to me, was more of a cultural thing than it was a spiritual thing. And all these things, really, I suppose, I questioned. And I questioned them in my own mind, because if I tried to question them to my parents... Um, they would have beaten it out of me. Mm. There was just no way they would have accepted their own son could question their their form of living, their their reason for living and their form of faith. And faith for them is everything. Um, even if they can't give you answers, they just don't want you to question it. Um, so I lived with that um, doubt and, and all those questions and didn't ask anyone because I didn't have the courage to ask anyone. And all I ever knew was the Egyptian community at that stage, socially. Um, school... Really, it was just all about having fun, so there was not much serious talk going on. So I really kept that all inside for many years, even after finishing high school. Uh, I, I just uh, attended these um, festivities and, and performed all the rituals out of obligation, not out of um, a, a spirit of wanting to. Um, to please God. It's a really interesting scenario, what you're saying, actually. I mean, I've heard a, a number of stories of Muslim people in uh, Middle Eastern countries who've converted to Christianity. You know, they've said before there was no heart. It wasn't real. You know, since becoming a Christian, the Bible's come alive. Their prayer life has come alive. Ash, do you find that stark contrast between the two religions for you personally? 
Yes, I've heard uh, a number of those um, interviews with, with, the, with converts from Pakistan and, and Afghanistan, and I relate to them so closely, even though I wasn't brought up in those countries. Um, it is quite amazing that you have this innate desire to, um, to be at one with, with God, and you want to have a relationship with him. But Islam does not, does not have that. There is no relationship with God. God is a, it's a high and a mighty being somewhere in the, in the nebulous that you cannot access. Um, and it's, it's not through any means that we have on this earth that we can communicate with this God. So that is one thing that I found was just completely void in my life. And it was important for me at that stage in my life. I, I wanted to know why I was doing this. Is there, is there a purpose for it? Um, do I have any meaning of life at all? And if there is, then you know, I'd like God to show me. And that was just not being provided. So I think that's where it comes down to. I, I don't think in the beginning, even though I was doing all these rituals and I was trying to follow what my father was, was uh, directing me to do in the mosque and, and reciting the prayers, it really didn't have meaning. It didn't, it didn't click with me the whole way through. Ash, to go a little bit deeper, are you willing to share with us something of the isolation the rejection, the extent of that persecution that you suffered during your years at uni? So it's a hard story every time I say it um, because you, you come to a low point in your life and, and you look back and say that that was really a dark moment. And indeed, those university years, although I, I really look back and, and have fond memories of the, the knowledge that I gained in it um, and the, the open-mindedness, I also had a massive struggle with just coming to terms with why I was here. I, I'd come to a point where I said, God, you, you, if you are real, um, you should show yourself to me. I'm, I'm tired of having to go through this life alone and not knowing what to do with myself. I have no meaning. I, feel, I have no feeling. And it's those, those situations where you know, you know, even a depressed person can relate to when they're saying that I just, I'm numb, I'm completely numb to my emotions. And that's how I felt at the time. And I'd ask God, you know, where, where are you? Um, can you show yourself, reveal yourself to me? And it just didn't come. But um, even a whole while, I knew that his hand was on me in retrospect. At the time, struggling through all these emotions, I'd, I'd cursed him. I said that you, you, you really have done yourself a disservice by creating me, and I really want to end it now. And so I planned myself um, to, to harm myself in quite a severe way, in uh, walking up the fourth story of a university building and I would I planned myself to, to throw throw myself off the fourth story balcony and and I, I knew that that would be the end of it and it would be fantastic after that there'd be there'd be no more hurt there'd be no more trials there'd be have no more struggles in my mind uh, but that very night that I was going to um, to rest so that I could get up and, and do that act I was woken up at two in the morning in a drench of sweat with my heart pounding and a, a, an amazing sense of peace that I'd never felt before just come upon me and say, you, you are at peace. You have peace because I am with you. And it was, there was no fireworks. There was no big dream. There was, there was nothing that just came upon me except for just a sense of peace. And I just knew from then that I just couldn't go on with that plan. And you were walking around the streets one day in Sydney. You came across a man with a toddler in a pram and uh, he must have just sensed your your emptiness, your your loneliness. He asked you if you know you could just have a chat with him. What happened from there? 
it was it was something I couldn't explain. It's, it's someone it's just on the streets of Sydney where you think you know uh, everyone is on their own. You're all living together, um, but not really forming a relationship. This person just came out of nowhere, and I was walking quite aimlessly you know, in the streets of Parramatta. And uh, with his approach, I I couldn't resist but to open up and say, look, I've been struggling. And um, and he said, well, why don't we talk about it? And from then on, we struck a friendship. It was just amazing. It was he didn't introduce himself to be a Christian. He didn't tell me that this is what his faith was about. He just simply walked with me and did a journey of of life, basically, um, going through my childhood and my parenthood, uh, what my parents were taking me through. Um, and he said, you know, you're going through stuff, and we all have, but you have to respect your parents, and you have to, you have to do that because it is the right thing to do, and I think you know that. And I, in, in, inside, deep within me, I did know that. But at the whole time, he gave me this openness and almost this unconditional love that I had been missing and didn't know had existed until then. And so- there was something different about him that I had to ask him, what is it that's so different about you? And he shared it. He simply said, I believe in God. And God, through Jesus Christ, has set me free. You're listening to The Story. Today, former Muslim Dr. Ash Suler is sharing his life journey. We just heard how he met a new friend who had a profound influence on his life and was instrumental in him putting his faith in Jesus. Next, we'll hear what happened when he told his parents about his new faith. That and more when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with former Muslim Dr. Ash Suler. Before the break, we heard how he met a Christian man who had a profound influence on his life. Now we'll find out what happened next in his life. Did you actually then go to your parents yourself? Tell us what happened. I'd joined um, his church in Parramatta for about six months. I wanted to know, I had a fervent um, desire and an appetite to know God in a tangible way, I, in a way that I'd never you know, known before. I'd never had access to the Bible before, so this was my first interaction. And it was wonderful. For six months, I had learned about God. I'd seen these wonderful scriptures in the Old and the New Testament, stuff that I'd innately sort of appreciated, even in the Quran, but never in that kind of color and life. And so I had to share it with somebody. And uh, after being baptized uh, in that church, I had to come home and be open and, and frank with my parents. And her mom and dad, uh, I tell you the truth now, I can't lie to you anymore. I'm a Christian and I've been going to church and I've just been baptized and I want to share it with you. And I, I don't know how naive <laughs> I, uh, I could have been, but I, you know, looking back at that, I think how stupid I was to have just opened up and, and think that they would have accepted that and, and, and uh, appreciated it. They had beaten it, everything out of me. It physically, verbally, emotionally, they said, we don't want you to come back into this house unless mm. you've rescinded everything you've ever um, just said to us. 
you've revoked um, your allegiance to this God that you say that you've, you've just uh, been baptized under, and um, you, we will not accept you in this family unless you do all of these things. And I had no choice at that age of 18. Um, I really wasn't independent enough to, to, to feel confident to do this. So I said, uh, I'm sorry. I, I really didn't realize it was going to affect you so much. And I do. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you tell me, and, and that's fine. I, and from then on, they said, you are only going to go to university and you'll come straight home and there's no other life for you. So I was back into a form of, I suppose, bondage so that they could at least keep tabs on what I uh, was doing with myself. And this lasted for a couple of years? Is that when you went back overseas after that? I did. Um, I, I um, tried, to, I tried to appease them in, as much as I could, knowing in my heart that Islam wasn't right for me. Even though I'd said, well, I'm going to do whatever you ask, I was doing it out of obedience, but in, the, in my heart of hearts, I knew that it was not right. So it came to a point where I'd finished university and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. So I just told my parents, look, I need to go and travel and just do something with my life that's positive. And uh, although it's not m- meaningful and gainful employment, it's, it's something that will at least help me discover myself. And they were totally against it. They knew that it, it was just another form of me trying to find uh, my own freedom and maybe even go astray again. But I knew that I had to do it. And, and they, they finally allowed me to do that and went to... And I went to Ghana, the very country that this uh, uh-huh. migrant gentleman had, um, had, had introduced me to Christ. And, and in that country, I had seen um, abject poverty... And at the same time, um, amazing humility and, a, uh, and a, a love for God, which I'd never seen before. Uh, and it wasn't that that really convinced me that there was this, you know, wonderful, mighty God who was there to love us and reach down a, um, from, his, uh, from his throne and want to touch us in a tangible way. It was more the fact that I'd opened my eyes to see the truth about life. This is not a perfect world. We are amongst sin and we are amongst a, a lot of um, in imperfection, destitution, and uh, almost, you know, um, a, a, a turning away from God. And, and in that, I found peace, even though it, all these imperfections around me, and even the very Christians who, who I met there were imperfect, and they were doing things that I knew was not right. I, I sensed a, a, a peace, I suppose, in the Word of God that said that, you know, we are, we are filthiness, our righteousness is filthiness in front of Him. And, uh, and understanding that in the context uh, of, of life in general. I'm chatting with Dr. Ash Soler, born to Egyptian parents, a former Muslim, raised in Sydney, converted to Christianity during his university days. Ash, thanks so much for your openness in sharing your story with us. Can you tell us now what happened when you came back to Australia from the country of Ghana? Coming back to Australia was tough. Um, back to my parents' home again. Um, same rules and regulations and expectations. Um, but it wasn't shortly thereafter when I uh, finished uh, another, another degree at the University of Sydney that I'd met this young lady. Um, it was through a mutual friend uh, who I'd met through the Sydney Olympics at the time in, in 2000. Um, she's very different and I came to know her just by conversation about what uh, life is about and where she'd come from in Kenya um, and what politics is all about and uh, what, the, what, the, what um, God has in place of our lives um, in terms of politics and, and what we wanted to do, I suppose, in life. 
and, and the conversation seemed to gel so well that I wanted to get to know this person a bit more. And so it wasn't long after that that I uh, gave her a call and said, no, why don't we sit down and have a chat one-to-one and, um, and just talk a little bit more about what your goals in life. And, and, and we did that. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't long after that that I realized um, this person was really meant to be. Um, and I didn't hesitate after that at the age of 23 that I proposed to her and she said, well, look, um, if you want to do that, you're going to have to approach my parents and, uh, and make this a bit more official. And their parents arrived in Australia to celebrate their, her, um, her graduation from university. It was only six weeks after I'd met her. Um, and they said, well, if you're going to do it, then um, we have, you have our blessing, uh, but you must agree to it together and, um, and discuss it with your own parents. And that was my stumbling block, yeah. um, my wow. parents. I had to approach them. And so uh, on um, Christine's arrival back to Australia for her to complete a master's degree in, in the University of Wollongong, I brought her back from the airport, um, took her home, and said, Mum and Dad, this is Christine. And their eyebrows rose, and of course, questioned her, well, you know, what is she to you? I said, she's a good friend, um, but I'd like to make her more than that. And they said, well, if you think of uh, marrying this person and doing it in a church and, and going about your own merry way, count us out. We're not part of it. You will not be our son. Uh, and uh, I will not be your father, and this will not be your mother, and you will have no further ties with us. Oh, my goodness. And you'd actually been literally beaten by, well, not by your father as such, but by your mother over all of this, yeah? My mother was quite, um, quite, quite upset the first time she heard that I was a Christian, and she, beat, she tried to beat it out of me. She said, this is just, mm. this is impossible. You are our son. In fact, you are our firstborn son. Mm-hmm. You, you should be providing a good example for your siblings. Mm-hmm. And this is the absolute worst thing that could happen to us in our lives. And we will find a way of getting this out of you. So be, you know, so be it, they said. So what she felt was absolute betrayal. It was, it was a complete condemnation. It was a, it, the biggest slap in the face they've ever had. Um, it, it couldn't be a, a worst case of apostasy for them. Mm. Um, and they just didn't know what to do. So for you, you pursued your relationship with Christine. Yeah. You were married. You were out of contact with your family for what length of time? It was about two years. Um, my mother did try, uh, but she knew that my father uh, had completely cut me off. He essentially used the words abandonment. Um, we will not be at all a part of you, your life. My mother did try, but every time that I tried to call uh, my dad, I just got the phone cut off mm. every single time. But two years on, um, my father's very close friend from Egypt, who migrated to Australia at the very same time that he did, and uh, you know, whose um, children were very close to us, so we were all very close together, had been very sick, this, uh, this, far, this um, man who is my father's friend. He uh, had terminal bladder cancer, and it just so happened um, that he um, was at the end of his treatment uh, program. He had no other options. He needed to go on a trial, and that was the only other um, option he had. I happened to be a, a clinical trial coordinator at the time, working at St. George Hospital in Sydney. Um, working on um, these cases of um, terminal cancer, which uh, had no other treatment options. And uh, he seemed to be um, enrolled in the trial that I was, uh, that I was uh, managing, and saw the work that I was doing and was very pleased. He just said um, to my father, this son of yours who you have ostracized is doing a wonderful thing for me. 
and you need to sort out the, your relationship between you and him uh, because uh, there is no point in stringing on your grudges with him um, just on, the, on account of this faith. And I think that's what touched my father. It got to him in a way that you know, no, there'd be no other way. It's kind of like the story of, uh, of Pharaoh and not listening to Moses. Yeah. He, he had to heed the word of God. And this was a tug that uh, my fa- it took my father uh, that much to, to get him to, to come and see me at the hospital. So um, he did. He came to the hospital where I was working. I got a page um, that I was to come to the a reception at the cancer trial center. And I was expecting it to be a patient. I went there with a notebook in hand and I saw my father there with tears down his eyes with open arms and saying, please come home. Wow. You've suffered a lot of persecution and your faithfulness, I know, will be rewarded. An inspiration, Dr. Ash Soler, God bless you and your family. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, God be praised. That was Karen Hunt chatting with former Muslim Dr. Ash Soler. As we heard, he faced some profound challenges with his family once he put his faith in Christ. However, it was great to hear how the Lord worked in his life to bring about a restored relationship with his mother and father. A verse in the Bible that comes to mind in relation to Asher's story is Psalm chapter 27, verse 10. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Comforting words for all of us. Well, thanks for joining us for Asher's remarkable story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I uh, was actually in, uh, in Sunday school when I was 14, uh, sitting next to Bozem, who was then my best friend, and the girl walked in for the very first time. She walked through the door, and the Sunday school teacher introduced her, and I said to my best friend, do you know that girl? And he said, yes. And he told me who she was and what her name was. And I said, I'm going to marry that girl. True story. David Churcher and his wife had no intention in getting involved in teaching and marriage course at their church. But when their pastor asked them to lead a class, the Lord began to work in their hearts and they have gone on to help many couples improve their marriages. We'll hear their story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.